As I began the journey of shifting my career to a job that aligned with my values and beliefs, having an education in health coaching has been transformational. Through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, you can become a certified health coach to empower your relationship with food, health, and wellness, live your dreams, earn while you learn, and embark on a new path. Join the global community of like-minded change agents who are here to empower, inspire, and motivate you to create the life you've always dreamed of by clicking the link in the show notes. And by doing so, you'll receive $2,000 off tuition when you pay in full or $1,500 off tuition if you choose the payment plan option. Or you can mention my name, Samantha Nagel, spelled N-A-G-E-L. Discover how to take a holistic and nourishing approach to health and wellness today. Welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. Join me, your host, Samantha Nagel, a certified integrative nutrition health coach, poet, witch, and work in progress for grounding meditations, inspiring interviews, and reflections about spirituality, holistic health, and the world around us. Join in every Thursday as we explore what empowered spirituality means to us in today's world. Hello, welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. This is Samantha Nagel. Welcome, welcome. Um, this week's episode is going to be about research, like kind of just the one, 101 of research, um, as well as the 101 of supplements. So it's not going to be, <laughs> do you like that voice? Supplements. Um, so it's not going to be that I'm going to teach you like the right supplements to take and you're going to see why <laughs> that's not the focus. But I just wanted to give you a heads up that if you're kind of looking for that kind of episode, it's probably not going to be this one. Um, I love knowing what people's supplement routines are, um, but I also don't think it's like the most um, safe practice or like the best idea. <laughs> so um, just keep in mind that that's something that I won't be including. Again, as always, this is not supposed to be comprehensive. Um, this is supposed to be um, an overview. It's supposed to be uh, what I've learned. Um, with these things, definitely do your own research. I'll show you how. No, um, but I, the joke is because I'll be talking about research. <laughs> um, Marcos calls that perv mode when I use that voice. It's not that I'm being pervy. It's that I'm acting. <laughs> no, I'm saying something in an interesting way with my voice. And I feel like that was a great example of um, <laughs> that vibe. Anyways, um, yeah. So before I dive, actually speaking of Marcos, I was going to say this just as a side note. Um, I saw this thing on Instagram. I think the person's from TikTok, um, but I forgot what her name was. But it was a montage of her husband and the song was By Wife Energy. Um, and it was about like being a good ally. Um, it says, I love my wife and my wife loves women. <laughs> and I just thought it was so cute. I've watched it probably 10 times today. I've sent it to everyone I know that's by. I've sent it to Marcos. 
which is like a feat because he doesn't have Instagram. <laughs> like, I like texted it to him. I was like, you have to watch this. This is you. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was really, really funny. And I just keep thinking about it and laughing and like singing it <laughs> every time I see him in my head. Um, but real talk, I am really grateful that he has <laughs> my wife energy <laughs> um, because, yeah, it just means a lot to me. Like this year, I didn't go to Pride, um, but he was like ready to go to Pride with me, which I thought was just like a really, really nice gesture um, that he would have gone with me. And the reason I didn't go wasn't like it, something just came up so we didn't go um but I felt like really really touched that he was willing to go and um we kind of talked about the fact that he's like in a queer relationship even if he's not queer because he's with me um so it just felt like super affirming and that um yeah it felt really good I've had people even comment like and Marcos is okay with it <laughs> and I'm like well first of all there's no other option. <laughs> like, like that's not acceptable to me. Like, I know a lot. That's a reality for a lot of bisexual people that their partner is not accepting or they hide it from their partner. It's not something that they tell partners of any gender, really. Um, there is that, like, biphobia has its, or being bisexual has its own privilege, for sure. Um, and its own, like, there's biphobia is, is super real. Um, yeah, just like kind of a little side tangent. When we went on vacation, we went with another couple too. Um, and he was like talking about finding like guys attractive or whatever. And I asked him like, do you, did you find them attractive? Like, like attractive or just like objectively? And he was like, no, no, just objectively. Like how I might think like a landscape is pretty doesn't mean I'm attracted to a landscape, but I know it's really important for those, <laughs> those people <laughs> who are bisexual to, or like who are queer to like hear it normalized and, and hear like same sex attraction normalized. So I wanted to create space for that. Um, and I knew he was talking about me, but um, I just thought that was like really cute and really sweet and really thoughtful um, just like such bi wife energy. Um, yeah, it's not what the episode's going to be about. It's just been on my mind and I'm really, really grateful that my sexuality is, is celebrated and accepted for who I am. Uh, yeah, even though it's should be that way, right? <laughs> okay. So this episode, feel like was actually inspired by an episode I recorded like a month and a half ago or so um, when I was talking about hmm, the BMI the first time maybe. Um, but I remember going on a rant about research and being like, you know, th this information that we're getting that these things, th their miracle cures are just so inaccurate um, and feeling like it really deserved its own spotlight. Um, and there's also been a post on Instagram about health research and there will be one about supplements by the time this comes out. Um, yeah. And I just have like a lot to say about it. <laughs> so I felt like this is the perfect place to have a lot to say about it. So why it's important is 
us as people, the general public, we're not taught how to read research papers. And that's not necessarily what this article or <laughs> what this um, podcast is about. It's not about how to read a research article, although that would be really interesting. Um, it's more just to know kind of how to have critical thinking, because that's really, really all you need to have. Um, in order to discern when you're interacting with research, to have critical thinking. But yeah, we're not taught how to read research papers. Research papers are not intuitive. They're not easy to read. Um, they're long. The in the font is small, like little things like that. It's not visually easy to read. Um, I know that for me, when I would read them for previous jobs and in, in school, I would have to like research words that I was reading in the paper and then I would like put that definition in the sentence and that wouldn't make sense because I'd have to like interpret those words. Like it, it just takes a really long time. It's really heady. I'm not super intuitive. So it's really easy for people to misinterpret studies um, when they do read them. And I think that's what happens with like morning shows and and like pop like pop psychology pop science I think pop science is a term I'm not sure I've only heard pop psychology because that's my background is um but like I think I don't know how morning shows work I've watched the show the morning show the apple tv one so I now think I'm an expert but I probably not (laughs) I'm imagining like someone's finding these articles gives a super big summary and gives it to someone who's, you know, not a scientist, not a researcher to talk about, and they need to make it interesting because really what those shows would be or or those segments would be is like someone did this and they found out this and it's going to take another like 20 years <laughs> to figure out <laughs> what to do with this, you know, because um, that's kind of how like research works. It's not like glamorous. I mean, it, it can be, but it's not like glamorous everyone's finding things that are amazing everyone's finding things that are life-changing and exciting and mean so much most of the time people are just finding things that are like one step closer in a really 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 long walk (laughs) um or they're just retesting what someone else did and then that's going to be retested and that's going to be retested um a lot of times there's not like flashy exciting results So, but we don't hear about that. We just hear about the flashy, exciting results, which is why it's really important to know kind of what you're dealing with. Um, The first point I'm going to make about research is correlation does not equal causation. If you've ever taken a statistics class, um, you've probably heard this quippy little saying that correlation doesn't equal causation. Correlation? just means that the variables are statistically associated. Causation means that a change in one variable directly causes a change in another variable. So, oh no, I shouldn't have offered, started to offer an example if I didn't have one ready. I'm thinking of something simple like in my life, like when I brush my teeth, that's a variable, me brushing my teeth, my teeth are clean. That's, that's a direct, like it's not a, you know, it is causing me brushing my teeth is causing me then in a minute or two or three to have clean teeth, right? That's a causation. But let's say 
Oh, no, I don't know an example for this either. Let's say you were to look at my household, Marcos and I, and technically Nora, <laughs> which doesn't count, just me and Marcos, um, and you were to say that, I don't know, actually, I'm not going to go down this path. <laughs> um, I think the causation example is fine. Um, but the example I love is that the number of Nicolas Cage movies per year correlates with the number of drownings in a swimming pool per year. You've probably heard this before. It's super cute, super funny. Um, the, I forgot actually who did it, but this um, big platform did like a huge study and they asked a lot of questions, random questions, and they just put out things um, to see what kind of correlations they could get. And they came up with a lot of wild, silly, funny, random correlations. But it was a great, they did it to show this exact thing, which is that correlation doesn't equal causation because it's really easy to know that the number of Nicolas Cage movies per year does not cause the number of drownings per year. Um, and what does this mean for you, right? Like, this is great to know if you're going to be doing your own research study, although if you're doing that, you probably already know this. Um, so yeah, how do you take that in? I guess it's just having that critical thought. Um, and I've used this example before, uh, so I'll use a little bit of a different one. Let's say someone who runs, um, it's I'm sure this is the correlation out there, uh, people who run more often um, have better uh, mental health. And it's quite possible um, that the running is causing the mental health changes and the positive effects. Like, for sure. Uh, and there's lots of reasons to, you know, think that that's the reason. Um, and also, like, what are the other variables, right? People who run more might also have other habits that are causing their mental health um, to do really well also. Um, so what's the, over, like maybe they're eating in a certain way, maybe they're sleeping in a certain way, maybe they are um, meeting up with friends to go running, right? Like all of those things could have that positive effect on their mental health. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're in a place where they can run safely, probably. Um, they have access to running equipment. So their economic status might be in a place that's more comfortable. They are living in a place where they are feeling safe, maybe. Um, right. So there are all those other variables that, um, you know, people might gather during a research study, but you can't really control for that. You can't choose like people whose lives suck <laughs> and they run <laughs> and see like, um, not that, not that if those things aren't the case, your life sucks. I didn't mean it that way. Um, but yeah, like it's just really hard to, to, uh, control for those things. Um, the next thing I'm going to talk about is p-hacking. So this is taken right from the Oxford Dictionary, this definition is defined as the inappropriate manipulation of data analysis to enable a favored result to be presented as statistically significant. So this is when the data analysis is chosen that will create the biggest results. Um, and also it's like hard to know if this is the case, right? But 
it is kind of safe to assume that peer-reviewed studies um, or studies funded by large organizations, this is not necessarily always the case, um, uh, will have looked at p-hacking and will have um, made sure that that didn't happen. So probably less likely to happen because so many people know about it, but it's also not not likely for sure. Um, that could also kind of look like trying to prove a new hypothesis after you've already stated what yours is. Like, well, I didn't have any results on this, but if I chose this and this, uh, there's a correlation there. So that's what I was trying to study and it was successful. Uh, but usually a lot of grant funded studies or like kind of reviewed studies, like I said, um, that's not something that they usually encourage. Um, but research red flags can look like large and sweeping claims or shocking results. Um, yeah. So just in general, if something seems too good to be true, it is. Participation. This is super important and something I've talked about before. So you might be like, yeah, I already know. <laughs> um, but a good research study will typically be a randomized control trial with a large number of participants that are well-matched and diverse. Um, so it doesn't look like just having white men, <laughs> which is the um, study model that I shared about for the BMI. Uh, and like, I don't know how many other ones, most of them. <laughs> um, so you want the same amount of genders. I don't know. The research community I'm from when I was in it wasn't really, they were doing men and women. There was like that binary was really existing there. Um, so that's also something to think about that people who don't fall into the binary or don't identify with the binary probably aren't being represented hardly ever, like really, really hardly ever, unless the study is about something to do with gender in that way, I would be really surprised if they were included or they're included and put into one of the categories or one of the binaries. Um, yeah, which is disturbing. Um, yeah, you want to see more people than just white men. Um, cis white men, too. Having two groups of comparison with controlled variables helps reliably see the results more. And these two groups should also be randomized and double-blind. And I'm going to pull up a definition online of randomized definition. Um, this is a study in which the participants are divided by chance into separate groups that compare different treatments or interventions or etc. Um, and double blind studies is a blind or blinded experiment you'll see, um, which is that information which may influence the participants of the experiment is withheld until after the experiment is complete. Um, so this is also, this also means that the clinical trial is such that neither the participants or the researcher knows which treatment or intervention participants are receiving until the trial is over. So it kind of gets rid of that bias as well, it gets rid of the placebo effect perhaps, um, which I, heard something that I totally agree with. I love it a lot. Um, cause a lot of people will be like, Oh, is this the placebo effect? 
is magic the placebo effect is manifestation is meditation is herbs supplements are they just the placebo effect and she was like maybe but like who the fuck cares (laughs) right like it's working and she also made the point that i love which is the placebo effect is basically proof that magic exists which i i love to think about it that way like our, it's proof that our minds and bodies are so powerful that thinking that we're having um, like medicine or the cure is enough to make us feel better and start acting better and our bodies act accordingly. I think the placebo effect is really brushed off as like, oh, it's how do we know it's not just a placebo effect? And it's really important to know, like, because that's really important information, of course. But I also don't think it's a bad thing when that's like, I don't think that finding is bad. I think it's just like a beautiful example of how powerful we are. I love it so much. Um, On that note, I'm going to do one on law of attraction and like my, my (laughs) well-rounded or no, I uh, like holistic thoughts on law of attraction and manifesting next week. Um, So stay tuned, but um, I'll give a little, tidbit (laughs) a little easter egg is that how you use that word or that phrase i've heard it used but i don't really know how to use it um anyways a little a little prequel um which is that (sighs) there's also criticism in for the like you can heal your your body and your and your your mental health just with your mind um Like, I also don't think that is the takeaway either. And I think that's honestly what my takeaway is with holistic health, herbs, medicine, all that stuff, is that, yeah, you can do great inner healing and and literal healing work with yourselves, with yourself through the power of intention and and herbal remedies and, and movement and and mental practices and emotional practices like I 100% believe that and also I don't think it's the only way to heal ourselves and I also don't think it works or I don't think it's effective 100% of the time Um, for example if you have a broken leg I don't think you should just like think or feel yourself into having um, a healed leg I think you should go to the doctor Um, if you have an infection or some other thing that makes you need these. I take antibiotics when you need them, right? Like I, I think it's really valid to think about how we can kind of like cure ourselves holistically and focus on that area, but also to seek the treatment and the help when we do really need it. So I know this is totally a tangent, but um, I think these controversies come or these valid criticisms, I should say, maybe, come because there's that black and white thinking that exists. And I, I know a lot of spiritual teachers um, will really promote doing that kind of thing, um, not getting what you need to get um, because you could take herbs instead or or not going to see someone when you're having pain because it's just emotional, right? Um we deserve holistic care and holistic care is, is utilizing our resources when we have them available to us. Um, so yeah, I'll talk about that more next week, but I just wanted to throw that in there. Why? I don't know. Cause I got off topic. <laughs> 
Back to participation. So I've said this before, but in health especially, those with menstrual cycles should pay extra close attention to the participation in studies. And so if you go to a research article or a journal article, um, there should be a section on participation. But also like another tangent, a lot of articles have a pay barrier to them. I'm able to access some because I work at a university. Um, and previously I went to school at a university. So I was, I've been able to access certain articles. I'm not even able to access all publications. Um, but there are very few that are just free, like just free. Um, some are, and you can also read maybe better articles that, that give a full summary of those articles. Um, but that's not like as pop, that's not what's trending. Like why would a, you know, why would a website do that? Um, so that's, that's a really shitty thing I didn't um, even write down to talk about, which is that there's a pay barrier. Like, not only is it hard to read, not only do you not think about reading it, but you also have to pay, subscribe to the journal to read it. Um, yeah, and I, I get it, too. Like, journals have to make money, but it sucks to have that pay barrier there. It sucks to gatekeep that kind of information. Anyways, <laughs> um, yeah, so it wasn't until 1993 that women were required to be included in National Institutes of Health Studies. So that's just for the NIH. And I'm not sure, but most, like, that's not a requirement everywhere, right? Not all studies require that you include women in your studies, which is absolutely bonkers. And 1993 is not long ago. And we are using research from a long time ago, from longer than 1993 ago. So the fact that that inform those studies may not have had women in them, it like it's half of the population, give or take, right? Um, yeah. And also, so now it is more, it is more widely required, um, even if it's not an NIH study, like to be taken seriously now, that is kind of the gold standard. Um, but most studies with women or those assigned female at birth often do not control for hormonal contraceptive use or menstrual cycle phase. So I know when I was in research, I would note when people were taking hormonal contraceptives, um, but it wasn't inclusionary or exclusionary criteria. Uh, it was expected that most women would be on birth control. Um, so yeah, like to exclude them would be, you know, and I wasn't doing like reproductive health research, but I was doing mental health research, right? Um, that's not a criticism to the study, but just to show that it's not common practice, I don't think, to exclude for birth control. Um, and certainly not to to monitor menstrual cycle phase. And, you know, logistically, I don't know, like only, you know, how hard would it be to only include women who are ovulating? Uh, the scheduling alone, especially if there's follow-up sessions or you're tracking someone over time, right? Like that might become it definitely would become very challenging. So there's a reason why it's not done besides like um, sexism and misogyny, but also just like challenge, it's, it would be challenging, um, take a lot of work. It would like slow things down. So I understand it from that point of view, but um, our bodies 
are incredibly different cycle to cycle or phase to phase. Um, like the way my body operates when I'm ovulating versus when I'm menstruating is so different. I have such a different uh, range of hormones. I have just just so much is different. Um, my mental health is different. My physical health is different. My emotional regulation is different. Um, and that's really important if you're doing studies that require information about any of those things. So, um, I mean, I've talked about intermittent fasting enough to know, for you to know, I probably don't like it, right? Um, but I, this is something that I remind people of a lot when I work with them, which is like, it's fine. It's fine. I'm not saying not to. Uh, but sure, there is some research saying that it's good for you and that it's great and whatever. It has all these benefits. Uh, one, like have those really been tested enough? Have the sizes of the participation been enough? I don't think so. Um, not from what I've seen. Um, but also it's not like our bodies are really different. And I think Dave Asprey, who's like one of the big pop health people out there, um, he mentioned, like, I think, I think, I think it was him said, if you're menstruating, don't fast. So I appreciate that. But also if you're in your luteal phase, if you're premenstrual, you need to be eating more if, if possible, um, you're going to be hungrier and you're going to be hungrier for a reason. So anyway, I'm not going to go on down that path. Um, but yeah, cycle phase is just super important for our bodies. Um, I'm going to move on to replication. So just because a study was found in an, ex oh, sorry, just because a result was found in an exploratory study does not mean that it's truth. So what happens in research is that there is sometimes an exploratory study. So let's say someone's never looked at <clears throat> intermittent fasting before, ever. So that would be the first study of its kind. Um, so if that study shows that there was promise, um, and that people had XYZ benefits, um, that doesn't mean that that's the truth, right? That was one study. It's probably a smaller study um, because maybe the funding was smaller, right? Um, and most studies do need funding, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, it needs to be replicated. It needs to, and those results need to be shown again and again and again. And a lot of the times they're not replicated replicatable several times over and over again. So someone needs to be able to see exactly what you did, recruit the same people that you did, follow the same steps, and see the same results or basically the same results. Um, and if that's not happening, then we shouldn't use the exploratory studies. Oh my gosh. I mean, hello. Great example um, is the study... I don't know the year, um, that was published that said autism was linked to vaccines. Uh, autism in children was linked to, uh, like prenatal or, or, or vaccines at birth. Um, and study after study, after study, after study found that this was not true. And actually the, the original authors or original researchers ended up taking back that information and saying that there was a conflict of interest and that the research methods were not um, acceptable, basically. Um, but that's one thing. People will still cite that study over and over and over and over again, um, even though it's been proven wrong, even though the person 
or the people have have said that it was incorrect, right? So I think that is is a great example of that. Um, yeah. So media interpretation, I kind of already did that as well. Pop culture. Um, John Oliver has a great um, segment about this that I love where he shows clips of people saying bonkers stuff on like morning news shows, especially. Um, and this isn't in his clip, but it was in another one. And I don't know like who it was or, or where it's from, but it stuck with me because it was so ridiculous. But it was like, <laughs> this is also about correlation, but it showed that the more tattoos a, a young man had, the more likely he was to be gay. Um, and so people were saying that not to let your sons get tattoos because they would turn out gay, which is like, just so wrong on so many levels, like so many. And also as if it's something bad, you know, and same with, um, the autism vaccine study, as if being autistic is something that's bad. Um, being gay, being autistic, n- neither of those things are something that's bad to be at all. Um, so the fact that this was also like advertised as a warning um, is is so wrong and ridiculous. Um, but also like just logically, I feel like I could say that, you know, if I told you tattoos and on men make them gay, tattoo ink makes men gay. I think, I hope you could use enough of your own critical thinking to say, uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Can, can you, can you tell me where you found that and what exactly was found? <laughs> can you point me in the direction of your source, please? Um, and that's kind of what I want you to be able to do. I don't need you to be expert researchers. I don't need you to design the perfect study, but it is super helpful to know these things. Um, so that you can use that if something sounds off or silly or big or extraordinary, uh, that's a red flag for you to be thinking about. Do I believe that? Does that sit with me? Does that resonate with me? Right? <clears throat> um, yeah, and funding. Super interesting. Who is funding the study that you're learning about? An ethical and reliable study should have no conflicts of interest. If there are conflicts of interest, they are small. They're resolved by an independent board. Um, But an example of this is that much of the research that was used to prove that alcohol or tobacco was safe was actually funded by tobacco companies. So tobacco companies were starting these research, research organizations and saying that um, tobacco was safe, um, but it came out that they were paying for the studies, uh, so it's not super reliable. For another example of this, I so highly recommend Holly Whitaker's book, Quit Like a Woman. She talks about big tobacco, and she also talks about big alcohol, which you know is a passion of mine, and I will be doing an episode about alcohol um, I'm rereading her book, and I reread it anytime I'm a little bit tempted to uh, um, release my sobriety, I guess is a loving way to put that. Um, and yeah, 
So I'll talk about that another time. Um, but yeah, a great example of this with alcohol is that the alcohol industry gave the government money to prove that moderate drinking is safe. Um, there's also a lot of like campaigns um, from big alcohol trying to promote safe drinking um, when that's not really possible. It's not possible. I mean, yeah, it's possible, but like it's, you know, there's no safe amount of um, alcohol that one can drink. Um, also reviews, there have been reviews of studies on sugary drinks, um, which showed that independently funded s- studies tended to find a correlation between soda consumption and poor health outcome outcomes. My goodness. And then studies funded by soda makers by contrast are less likely to find such correlation. So shocking, right? Um, Also, um, I'm not going to harp on fasting again. (laughs) Uh, But thinking about the Bulletproof products um, and his book, um, Vilified's Healthy Foods, and suggests that part of the way to achieve a pound a day weight loss, which I've already talked about, big red flag, is to buy his expensive science-based Bulletproof products. Um, whenever there's a product to research, be super fucking weary. Um, and he invested $300,000 of his own money on research, travel, and experimentation. Another huge red flag, right? If someone's investing their own money and has something huge to gain, um, that's a huge red red flag for me as well. Something that I love, and this comes from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition showed that basically everything we eat both causes and prevents cancer. So the examples they use are wine, tomato, tea, milk, eggs, corn, coffee, butter, and beef. And it's shown to both both reliably cause and prevent cancer, (laughs) which I think is a great example. If you've ever done your own like nutrition um, research and tried to find like what foods you should and shouldn't be eating, it's like always like really conflicting advice. Like this is the best thing for you. Another article or book or person will be like, this is the worst thing for you. (laughs) This is the worst thing you could possibly do. This is also the best thing you could possibly do. Um, So I just think that's really interesting. That's all I have about research. And I'm going to jump over to supplements now. All right, so this conversation about supplements does relate to um, research, kind of, but in a sense of that, like, there are the same red flags, kind of same critical thinking is needed to determine whether you need supplements, whether you should buy certain supplements, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So yeah, I'm just going to dive in. The dietary supplement market in the U.S., in 2020 was estimated at $46 billion in the year 2020. That's a lot of money for supplements. So most people, like big nutrition people, will have their own brand of supplements. So if those people are nutritionists or they have 
wellness websites, and they're telling you that certain supplements are absolutely necessary for your health. And oh, you can buy our supplement. Just like the whole bulletproof diet thing, that's a huge red flag, right? Because is it is it really necessary or do you just have a product to gain from it? It's like the conflict of interest from research. It's a huge conflict of interest um, to be the alcohol industry and funding studies showing that alcohol is safe to drink. Uh, it's a huge conflict of interest to say that supplements are really great for you. Oh, and by the way, I have this really expensive supplement that you absolutely need to take, right? Huge conflict of interest. Dietary supplements. I'm kind of just changing topics here. But dietary supplements. So think about the word supplement. It's intended to supplement diets. They're not necessarily meant to be the diet, be where we get all of our nutrition. I think they can fill some gaps sometimes, um, but when we get all of our nutrition, nutrients, nutrition, no, nope, nutrients from supplements, um, it just like may not be super possible that we're even getting those nutrients. Um, supplements might come in tablets, capsules, soft gels, gel caps, powders, bars, gummies, and liquids, and. This is not to say that supplements are bad. I also take supplements and I also think that taking herbs and taking supplements that you buy at like Walmart are different. And I'm not saying that supplements you buy at Walmart are bad. I'm just saying they, they are two different things. So I want you to keep that in mind as well. So let's talk about the FDA. The FDA does not have authority to approve dietary supplements for safety and effectiveness or to approve their labeling. And yeah, are there probably issues with the FDA that we could talk about? Sure. Um, is there definitely a, a, a way that we devalue holistic remedies? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Big time. Um, but it is something to think about that the FDA does keep us safe in a lot of ways. Um Products containing hidden drugs are also sometimes falsely marketed as dietary supplements, putting consumers at an even greater risk. And also, if they don't approve their labeling, like they can kind of say anything, right? Uh, moving on to drug interactions, um, many supplements contain ingredients that have strong biological effects, which may conflict with a medicine that you are taking or a medical condition that you already have. So, uh, for example, St. John's wort, you can take as a tea, you can take as a supplement, as a capsule, um, probably other ways, I don't know. And this can be really like a great home remedy for depression. Um, I've also seen it in like PMS relief. Um, but it also will, if you're already taking antidepressants, you should not be taking both. Um, and you also should not be um, taking it if you're on birth control and you want your birth control to work. Right. Um, and that's a surprising interaction. Like I, I wouldn't think, I wouldn't intuitively think those things. That something I'm taking possibly for depression could impact birth control. Um, but it could, right? Things for ovulation health, um, health can increase 
ovulation. So not something you want to take if you're on birth control and you want your birth control to be effective. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't think of anything else at the moment. Um, also, St. John's work can have an interaction with your heart as well. That happened to my partner. Um, he was taking St. John's work and then um, he was having, oh, I forgot what the word was. It's basically, oh, I forgot I used to do this. I used to work with heart rate. Um, it's where the, <laughs> you're not going to know it by the thing I'm about to say. It's where the little end thingy of your heart rate, I think, has two or has like a big, like too big of a, a bump. <laughs> Oh, uh, what's it called? It's like your tea something. I don't know. Uh, but that happened to him and it went away when he stopped taking St. John's wort and his doctor told him that that could be a possibility. Oh my goodness, I choked up my own spit. <clears throat> so always do your own research <clears throat> God. or consult with a professional and or consult with a professional. I say and, I think it's good to do your own research as well. Um, so that's another example. Like I don't think that always doing your own research always only is good enough all the time. I do think you need the <clears throat> advice of a medical professional at times. Um, but yeah, I think it's also good to do your own little double checking sometimes too. Um, and there's also, you can go to drugs.com or drug.com and have the same experience. Not the same experience. Um, no, no, no. But just see a list of things that could possibly be an interaction. Okay, so next thing I'm going to talk about is homeopathy. So I know a lot of people who love homeopathy and they sw swear by home homeopathic remedies. So sorry. <laughs> so the thing is, I used to think when people were talking about homeopathic remedies, they were talking about herbal remedies or natural remedies. <clears throat> My gosh. <laughs> uh, but it's not the same thing. So the process of homeopathy is actually quite startling. Um, and you know what? I was going to say, like, most of the effects that people see, <clears throat> gosh, my throat, um, is probably from the placebo effect. But like I said, I mean, if you don't, if, if taking sugar pills, which is essentially what homeopathy is, is helping you feel better, authentic, and it's giving you a placebo effect, like, that's good. You know, like, I'm, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. Um, you're getting the desired result, right? I think a lot of things that we see with cold and flu or like more cold remedies, um, like Zycam, in my opinion, um, the results that we see from that are usually because by the time we start taking it, um, like our cold has probably already run its duration or like, I think, I think that's more coincidence and or placebo. <clears throat> so homeopathy. <laughs> Okay. Um, homeopathy, homeopathic remedies are made through a process in which a substance is diluted with alcohol or water. So substance we really have, I don't know. I'm not going to think about what, I'm not going to think about an example. So it's diluted with alcohol or water. Then one part of that solution is taken and diluted again with nine parts water, one part that substance, and then it's shaken. So the shaking is essentially what is said to 
like release the properties that you've just taken into the water. Um, there's also this idea that water has memory. Um, but there's a video I watched in one of my farm pharmacology classes in college um, that used the example like then basically all water you're drinking is like shit water <laughs> or like all water you're drinking has been like with the dinosaurs um, if it all has memory and like that's not a comforting thought and we definitely if I hear that I'm like no that's not true um, so yeah like one of those things has got to be true so that process of diluting it and then putting it in again, that's one X. So if you can see on your homeopathic remedies, one X means that it's one part solution, one part like water or alcohol. And then that process is repeated over and over and over again. So you take your one X solution, which only has one part the substance. You take a drop out of that. You put that in water. You shake it. And then you take a drop out of that. You shake it and you put it in the new one, right? So for example, a 20X potency homeopathic remedy, this is crazy, is the same as dissolving one Tylenol into the Pacific Ocean. So if you were to, like, if you wanted the effects of one Tylenol, you'd have to intake that whole ocean, <laughs> which is just crazy. So a 30C potency means that the remedy has one part ingredient and 99 parts water or alcohol, or it's a sugar pill, right? There's also, I'm not recommending anyone do this, um, but there's a video, several videos online that you could look up of people, quote unquote, overdosing on homeopathic remedies. They'll take the whole bottle um, and nothing happens to them because... They like maybe got a little part of the substance that was sold to them. They mostly are taking sugar pills, really. But also like don't test that. Um, still don't do that. Um, but those videos are, are intriguing. So yeah, I think 30C potency is pretty common. I will say Zycam has a higher potency than other ones. But... I don't know. I just don't think it's worth it. Um, so yeah, that's a lot of the things that I see being sold. But it's like a great fucking business plan because you're using hardly any of the substance and you get to sell it for a lot. Like it usually sells for kind of pricey. Um, even the cheaper stuff is pricey. So I mean like great business plan. <laughs> is it ethical? No, probably not. Um, side effects of supplements. Because supplements are essentially unregulated, so basically the FDA is not responsible for regulating supplements. The supplement industry is responsible for regulating supplements, which is like saying that a, a peer-reviewed journal is not a thing. If peer-reviewed journal is the gold standard, this is the same equivalent of being like, well, someone else on your research team can read it and you're good. Right. Of course, they're not going to be like they're going to be like, it's good to go. <laughs> right. So, yeah, like super flawed system. Um, but yeah, they're essentially unregulated. The FDA sometimes will step in if they're like, hey, people have died or they keep getting sick. Help. And then the FDA will step in and be like, OK, what happened? <laughs> um, yeah, many harmful side effects are possible and many have happened from taking supplements. Uh, I don't have any examples, but there's a lot out there. 
there are many instances in which the advertised substance or herb is not even in the supplement. So sad. So you could be paying for like L-theanine, for example, um, and there's like no L-theanine in your in your supplements. Um, efficacy. The research on supplements is not conclusive. That's why I started with research and thought it would be a good starting point. Supplements do not have the same impact on the body as food does. Our bodies are more capable of digesting food in its natural form versus food in pill form. It's also not food in pill form. It's extracted um, and then put into pill or whatever form. And that's also like sometimes that's needed for sure. Um, Like, for example, I knew someone who they were not able to eat a lot um, and they had to take a multivitamin um, because they weren't able to get all their nutrients from food. There's so many reasons why that could be the case. Um, But if you are able to get your nutrients from food, do that instead. Um, It's a little bit harder, but you also know that you're getting the nutrients that you need. Um, A lot of the times, I think, it's either because there's something in it or because your body doesn't need it. Um, Your urine might be bright yellow after you take it, or you might be, it could be a cause or a, a, a sign that your body's not absorbing the, what you need. And as long as there's no harmful things in your supplements or vitamins, probably your body is just going to excrete it that way. Like it's not going to, like if you're already getting what you need to be getting, probably fine. Um, but oftentimes there are a lot of fillers and like yucky crap in vitamins that aren't like might even, I don't know, but I would assume might even like over, override, overrule the actual benefits from the supplement that you're getting. Um, research, research, research. Many popular TV shows or social media accounts or famous doctors will recommend recommend supplements as one size fits all. But the reality is our bodies are all incredibly different and we have different needs. And we also have different medical histories and and medications that we're on, like I mentioned. Um, But (laughs) that slide actually was inspired by one person in particular. (laughs) Um, He had a talk show host and his name rhymes with Dr. Foz. But yeah, he actually went to courts. Which court was it? I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, but because he was like, advertising all these supplements to be a cure all magic for every person, every body. Um, and the court was like, do you really believe that's true? And he was like, mm, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, you'll have to you'll have to look up those videos They're They're really interesting. Um, but yeah, it's super common. Like, I'm sure you can remember times where you've heard about magical supplements and things that everyone should be taking. Um, and also, like, how many of those people are sponsored, especially with influencers and social media now? Like, are they sponsored? Are they getting money from that? Right? So, are they selling them themselves? That's really uh, good to know. Um, Also, many shows or influencers haven't read the detailed studies that they are referencing. Research often gets sensationalized and taken out of context in the media. We know this. We just talked about this. 
Quality health advice is taken from years of quality data studies, not budding new studies, which are often what are trending. So yeah. Also, I just think you need less supplements than you think you do. Like I know people who have rows and rows of supplements that they take every single day. Um, honestly, in my preferences too, like if you want to take an herbal supplement, can you get it? Can you go to the herb store and just get like a shit ton of that herb for probably way cheaper? Make your own capsules or just make your your tea with it. You know, you can have it that way. You can incorporate it into your food. Um, like turmeric, for example, or turmeric. I don't really know how to say it, but um, I'm not necessarily recommending it. But that's something that I think is really helpful. And I, I just put it in stuff. I put it in my tea. I throw it in rice. I throw it in meat. I throw it on veggies. Like you can just throw a little bit on pretty much anything and it will not taste. I throw it on popcorn. That's pretty good. Pasta. I don't know if I already said that, but also has like a cute little yellow color <laughs> and yeah, like just kind of enhances that food. So you can do that with seasonings as well or, or herbs in that sense as well. That's all I had for you. Um, save your money on supplements, save your time and don't explore fad diets as often. Um, use critical thinking, um, do your own research even though it's hard. <laughs> yep, that's all I had for you. Um, yeah, next week I'm going to be diving into law of attraction and manifesting. I'm also going to talk about alcohol at some point. And then I'm out of, I don't have any other ideas planned. So <laughs> let me know if there's something you want to hear me talk about or if you have any questions on what I've recently been talking about. All right. Thanks everyone.